0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest today is playwright Dave Harris, who, if there was a theater podcast, 30 Under 30, this dude would be on it. He has so much talent in his fingertips and he just puts them down on paper digitally, of course, and writes these incredibly amazing scripts. He's got two things that are being produced simultaneously right now on both coasts. So he's flying back and forth between LA and New York almost every other night because they're both opening at the same time. This is insane. He talks about that when we get going. And it's really fun because we the conversation we got into, he, he was talking about how he uses his writing to seemingly work through fear on an unconscious level. And I think that's it, it's his own form of therapy, right? Although consciously, he's always trying to improve himself, which is, of course, something we all should be trying to do. He has this incredibly funny fear of birds. He tells a story as to why. So he started reading up on birds to try to get over his fear and now ends up loving bird watching but he still has his fear of birds. So he likes to bird watch with a fear of birds. It's kind of funny. Before we get into the interview, please find me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast on TikTok at the theater podcast. I'm ticky talking. It's kind of fun. I, I don't know. Let me comment there. Let me know you're there. And we're gonna take a short break and then get into the episode. Enjoy this interview with Dave Harris.
2: Another day is here
0: and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it?
1: Two, three. Today's guest is a poet, performer, and playwright whose recent work includes Tambo and Bones, an exception to the rule. He's a Tao Foundation playwright in residence at Roundabout Theatre Company and has published a full-length collection of poetry called Patricide. And ever since I first discovered this dude, he has been on my list of people whose stories I cannot miss. Dave Harris, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I know we were just chatting before we started recording that you landed from L.A. uh, last night around 10 p.m. Eastern, and now we're recording on on the next morning. Why are you flying back and forth?
2: Yes, it's it's a very chaotic and exciting time right now. Um, I have exception to the rule in previews right now at roundabout and mm-hmm. tambo bones in previews right now at center theater group in la so uh, i'm going back and forth to help them both open as possible um so i was in la i left to go to la on monday uh came back to new york today leave again to go back to la on saturday and come back again to new york on uh monday just trying to get at all get to both of these openings and you know give my notes and do all that good stuff
1: um but yeah it's a a crazy time it's a crazy time (laughs) so (laughs) so, i accepted the rule was supposed to open a while ago right the the original plan wasn't to have these at the same time
2: no it was not (laughs) (laughs) i was uh I was two weeks. I was, so I was living in San Diego, finishing up grad school um, and accepting to the rule. I was supposed to start rehearsals in March 2020. Um, and I was two weeks from moving to New York to, to live here. Um, and then, except to the rule got postponed, and then Tambone Bones was supposed to happen at Players Horizons in November 2020, and then that got postponed. Um, and then we've been we were in like a two year limbo, and now finally they're all happening. But of course, they're all back to back to back. So you know, I just get the constant <laughs> wave of going from show to show right now, which is super fun, and also I am so tired. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and you are God, you are young man. Like you are just out of like you say you you just got out of grad school. And and now these two these two shows happening simultaneously two amazing shows right and then you're also you have your 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 fully published book of poetry your full length book and all of a sudden uh, I mean I guess uh, we can we'll get back into the childhood in a second but for the things that are happening now the two shows and the poetry book. How long ago did you start working on these? And and were they recent things? Did you craft them in grad school or undergrad? I mean, because you got your BA from Yale. We'll get into that. But like, hot damn, right? Like, it seems like you've been working your ass off for for how long now to all of a sudden have this come, all of these things happen at once?
2: I mean, you know, everything, every project takes a long, it develop you know like with, with playwriting you can really get caught on the development hell especially when you're starting off of just going to sort of every new play conference and work with and they're all great like i've met some of like the best collaborators of my life through those things um but each of these plays has been in development for a while and just and has been like lined up and ready to go for a long time too um like miranda and i uh did our first reading of this play miranda Heyman, who's directing mm-hmm. the show at roundabout um who's a brilliant artist um Directed the first uh, reading of this play in New York in, uh, I guess this was January 2019 and the 2018 something like that. So you know we've been working together on this for a long time and finally it's coming to fruition. And Tambo and Bones um, started as a one act that then uh, uh, Amrita Ramanan from when she was working at Oregon Shakespeare Fest was like, oh come develop this here, and then you know we'll like fly you out and you can work on the actors here. So you know everything takes a long process and then finally you get to see it on stage it's up for two months and then it's over (laughs) so you really kind of get but you get in the weeds with them for a long time so it's it's they're all things that i've been like working on and honing for a a very long time i'm really fortunate that uh people are responding to them because you know i write them for myself and then it's a good coincidence that people
1: like them too (laughs) (laughs) well okay then then you write them for yourself so let's let's start out little dave right Born in West Philly, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm resisting mm-hmm. all of the urge to to do the uh, the jokes about uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air here.
2: But it you know, gets it gets even worse because I was born I was born in, in Los Angeles and then moved to Philly, so there's like reverse Fresh Prince trajectory <laughs> happening there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you gotta you gotta write your own parody uh, intro song for uh, you know like <laughs> just the reverse of what Will Smith did. Or yeah, yeah. But okay, so you you grew up in West Philadelphia. I know, slap, yeah, so you weren't born—you weren't born there, but raised in West Philadelphia, and on the playground you did not spend most of your days. But um, so when you were uh, were young, were you, were you attracted to theater, or was it musical theater? Was like what kind of stories? Because I I always I'm always so curious how playwrights get into playwriting simply because the 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 ability to craft a book is such a different process than writing lyrics or writing instrumentals.
2: Yeah, no, everything sort of come from a different place. I, uh, I've been writing in some shape or form my entire life, like my mom when I was in second grade, called that i was going to be a writer and i was like no you're not no i'm not you're wrong um and of course she was right um but <laughs> she did the same thing for my sister too she called that my sister was going to be an elementary school teacher and my sister was like no i'm not i'm going to be a chef and now she teaches second grade um so you know my mom just kind of prophesied
1: the whole thing um but she teaches but, no, I, I've been second writing. graders how to cook so that you know it all comes full circle
2: <laughs> <laughs> it all comes full circle um So I've been writing in one form or another my whole life. I started in short stories, and I was in elementary school. I kind of – my mom let me read Stephen King in an age when I really should have been reading Stephen King. Um, And uh, that sort of – I would write just these demented-ass stories. Um, (laughs) And then uh, – and that's when I started doing theater, too. I started doing theater in elementary school also. Um, And then uh, in sixth grade, I switched schools from a public school to uh, a private school – all boys, old money, almost entirely white until my year when they dropped five of us into the school. A um, whole hot mess. A lot of my writing comes from that uh, split that happened in that place. Um, but uh, in seventh grade, two things happened. The first was that uh, I realized I didn't have, all my friends were dudes. Um, and then that day I saw an audition posting for, uh, come audition for the school play at the Baldwin Girls' School. And I was like, oh my God, that's the key. <laughs> <laughs> um it's in the most sort of <laughs> prepubescent uh <laughs> of my life i was like oh my god now's the time um and the second thing that happened was that there was this group called philadelphia young playwrights that um a lot of philly playwrights came through like Ki- kiara hudas came up through philadelphia young playwrights and was part of it and as part of my school's curriculum we had to write and submit a play to the contest um and uh, i wrote a play that um got second place in the contest and then from that uh Ends up in that organization. So I, I was writing plays all throughout middle school and high school. Um, went to college not expecting it to be a thing because um, I no one in my family had done the four-year college thing. So I was like, if I go, I have to do something that sounds legit. Um, and then two years into it, so I went and think I was going to major in the hard sciences. And then two years into college, had a teacher, had a theater teacher who kind of slapped me upside the head. And was like you're lying to yourself, and I was like you're right, and then have just been writing since, um, pretty much exclusively for. Her. I mean, I've done like a lot of other things in between there, but everything's been geared towards writing and producing this material.
1: Oh my goodness, so much I want to cover. Uh, <laughs> so first of your first of your family to go to college to, to do the four year college thing, you said, and then you go to Yale yeah. of all places. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to yeah. back up. We're, we'll back up from Yale. We'll get to Yale. But um, you were saying I was going to ask about. Uh, about the, the I guess, what should we call it? Racial, racial disparity the, of, we were yeah. saying in sixth grade, right? You went to sixth or seventh grade, right? Yeah. You went to this, yeah. this school so, and, and there were only five, it was five people of color. You say you were one of five people of color who got dropped into this pretty much all white school or was it literally all white? Um,
2: essentially the, uh, sixth grade, um, it's, you know, you were in a transition from middle to high school, middle, from middle from lower school to middle school. And the school runs from pre-K to high school. Um, and, you know, I think sixth grade, there was an optics problem. So their solution was to go find, uh, five like gifted black students, um, and, uh, sort of drop us in, into the school with no guidance and anything at all. And, you know, none of us had had really had access to a world that looked the way it did. You know, this is like old, old money, you know, people who, people who who still like, I mean, like I've like met, I've met rich people. I still, I'm just like, y'all, this is, this is nuts. Um, (laughs) and so that kind of, that's, that's where all my understanding of theater comes from. I think it's from the sort of like learning how to perform in that space and like sort of seeing how much of class and race is just based around, uh, performance and just based around like how can you scheme in this world um and yes yeah, so anyway that's how i ended up in that school i think that's a large part of how i ended up in theater and thinking through kind of performance theory and what it is to uh, embody yourself or what it is to have like a true self whether that's whether that exists or not um comes from i think that split of going to that school
1: i i'm fascinated by all of this and and i will be the first to admit i mean i acknowledge white privilege and male privilege and being a straight white male, like certain things come with that that until recently, I didn't realize it just came because of literally my outward appearance that I have no control over. And now, uh, especially in New York and all over the world with anti-Asian hate, uh, it's, and and Black Lives Matter and and everything that's been happening, like hot damn, I don't need to make this a political episode, but it seems to me like there is so much uh, uh, of... I guess, racial, um, reckoning, right? There's an awakening that, uh, has been exposed and, and I won't say has been created. It's not new. It's always been there. And I love, love, love that, that voices like yourself are, are writing about things that, um, are going mainstream. They need to be mainstream. They need to be more in the front of people's minds. And, I love that this experience that you've had, right? This experience that is personal to you, you're writing it for yourself because I assume it's a it's a form of catharsis, right? But then it's also, like you said, it's something that other people want to hear and get. And then all of a sudden, you get produced and you get recognized because you're writing great stories. So there's, there's probably there's twofold two sides of this. One is the natural talent you have probably got as a writer, and then the other is drawing from these personal stories. People always say, write what you know. So has your has your perception of what you've been writing been able to change over time as the culture has been shifting and um i guess like going into theater is even old money and old white money at that right
2: yeah, you know I don't think the 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 that I would probably raise is that I actually don't think the culture is shifting. Um, <laughs> like, I think every every there's always, distant waves of discovery and something is like, like we just find new language to describe the same exact phenomenon over and over again. Yeah. Um, and so, and functionally for me, I mean, this is why I sometimes become really frustrated with theater and with uh, um, with with playwriting with the field often is that I think so much of kind of. The language of the moment is functionally just a distraction, you know. Like for for me, the reason why I write is not to uh, uh, ad- address something external. Like you know, all the, the language around race and 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 class and everything—it's it, it's 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 very uh, consequential, but also it's functionally just like a distraction from the things I actually want to write about, you know. And so for for me, it's it's normally just a way to get into something uh some existential fear that i have beneath that you know um and and that for me is what is most important but i think that's also the thing that uh can be it can distract you from the work but because ultimately the only thing this is the thing that i think i've I've followed in my whole career is that you know i i think i write very much from an individual perspective in in a culture that i think very much wants to uphold uh an idea of community, you know, um, like a seven rule, is very much about, uh, there are six black teenagers stuck in a room. Uh, there's one black teenager who maybe has the uh, capacity to escape the room and, and the other five who are stuck. It's about what do you, what's the cost of staying with the group versus uh, leaving to go do whatever waits for you, whatever awaits you outside, you know? And I think like all of my playwriting is geared around this idea of how do you, Escape into what it is to, to what what your own individual imagination is um and so the thing for me the task for me as, as a writer is how amidst a culture that claims to be shifting but ultimately never is, how do I stay loyal to my own imagination and keep writing through
1: that? I don't even know how to add on to that that <laughs> that that is such, <laughs> that is such a, a a deep level of understanding uh and so exceptions to the rule. You said it's six six black teenagers in a room. It, it, the room is detention, so it, it adds that extra level of stress. And there's five people who are regulars there, and then the new girl comes in, and she's. It, it sounds to me like, even though outwardly, she is like the other people in the world. Internally, she's facing the same struggles that you were literally mm-hmm. just talking about with yourself, of like maintaining. Uh, be how do you justify moving ahead and leaving others behind while still wa- wanting to be part of like the large the larger group? And so mm-hmm. what what you said though, you want to write about what you want to write about, and you're struggling with that. What do you want to write about?
2: Oh, I want. I mean, I want to write about everything I am writing about. You know, um, I, that, I mean, I feel very grateful because I think all playwriting very much comes from my understanding of poetry and the way that poetry was taught to me was that basically what I went, I went to this poetry workshop called Kalalu, where this poet Greg Greg Pardlow you basically sit in a room with 10 other black with 10 other poets and he you read him your poem he reads his po- he reads your poem back to you and then he's like this line, this line is a lie this line is a lie this line is a lie this line is kind of true this line you're maybe trying to say something tell me about your father and then you basically just uses your own words to like catalyze you into pushing beneath to find the thing you're actually scared of saying um B- beneath the distractions of what you're doing on the page. Um, and so playwriting for me is usually how do I uh, keep finding a way to question uh, a fear I have or a truth that I've settled on. So uh, every play for me is uh, is addressing that in some ways, addressing some very personal Fear that I fear that I have and hopefully trying to find a fun way to to do that. So uh, acceptance is the rule. That's why I almost tend to, tend to always write in, in comedy is that for me, it's like, how do I find a fun way to interrogate this fear? Um, so everything that I've gotten to write are the the things that I've always dreamed about writing. You know, Tambo and Bones. Uh, I got to put an entire rap concert on stage, you know, like I like, mm-hmm. like that. And that's the that's that's the that's the thrill for me. It's like how do I do something that uh that I've never seen? how do I continue to surprise myself um and if I can surprise myself, then I think I can surprise an audience um so i i I feel very fortunate that like i i, I everything I've written has been exactly in line with what I want to write you know
1: um and you're getting recognized and it's getting produced and and I mm-hmm. think that's uh that sort of takes to to the the Tao foundation. Um, playwright in residence. Mm-hmm. So you're playwright in residence at Roundabout Theater. So for those who don't know, um, the Tau Foundation. Let's see, it's a it's a residency program. I guess. Well, first of all, explain what the Tau Foundation is.
2: Yeah, so the Tau. I mean, the Tau Foundation does a lot of things. Essentially, um, I had an interesting trajectory with them because normally, the, what they do is they help you. Uh, they give you uh, uh, money and help you become a part of the theater that you're working at. Um, but I was tile playwright in residence when I actually couldn't be in residence in New York because of the pandemic. Um, so they basically just like helped, but like sort of like funded me through the pandemic and also uh, helped make sure that this play stayed uh, stayed uh able to produce. Basically, you know, like they they really are just like, how can we support artists? through uh through a time in a play in a city in a time when it's, it's hard to be an artist, you know. Um and I think that looks different for every playwright because you know they 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 uh there's multiple there's Tal playwrights and residents at residents at many theaters. Um they sort of just support people when they're in production in their place. Um so I'm Emily to Emily tile and Tal Foundation sort of just like really helped me through the pandemic and helped make writing a sustainable thing through that time. Um and now finally it all gets to come to fruition when we finally get to do this play.
1: Well, I mean it, it, the the residency program includes it's a full-time salary and funds to support the work yeah. and guaranteed full production of the play by the sponsoring theater company and it seems like this is not an easy thing to become a part of so what was the application process like to to even get this it's yeah it's actually it's not it's not as exciting it's
2: not as exciting as uh, as it could be essentially the, the theater agrees to produce the play and then through the theater you apply to the Tao, the Tau Foundation and then they select maybe seven playwrights seven playwrights and seven plays at theaters in New York um and sort of just like uh, sponsor this, this this residency. Um which you know it's 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 sort of like typical grant writing process, which which the weeds of that are not are not that exciting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um it sounds it sounds really competitive. I mean, just to basically get a free production for uh, for for your show, for your script it sounds it sounds like it's it's super hard um and for whatever reason in my mind when you were telling the story i I was thinking um I'm halfway through these, season three of Ozark, and I don't know I don't know if you ever if you ever watch Ozark, but um the end of season two uh spoiler spoiler yeah. alert there's um uh one of the kids gets accepted to college because he writes this really profound essay and whatnot and i'm always I'm always thinking about about writers when it comes to TV and film and these things, because there's some of the best, the best, best, best monologues and dialogue and scenes and whatnot that you see um, on screen. I mean, there's, and there's great ones on stage as well. And, and right now you're young in your career. You're you're just, you're really like getting shot out of this cannon and having two plays produced simultaneously, which is incredible. Hopefully both of them come to Broadway, knock on wood. And <laughs> At the at the same time, have you had any opportunities then to sort of showcase the same sort of skills for uh, for movies for TV? Are, is that of any interest to you at all to sort of like to do any of that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been doing that for for I mean for a while for the last. When did I really start? I guess twenty nineteen was when I really started getting the film and uh, TV. Um, the first project I worked on was this uh, this film called Summertime, um, directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada, who's. Um, Brilliant director. Um he just he's just Ryan Raya and the Last Dragon. He's sort of like uh and we did this kind of very small project that was based around these uh these youth spoken word poets in Los Angeles. Um and that was my first uh feature writing feature writing gig. Um and that I mean that was that was it was like another thing where we just got thrown into the weeds sort of Im- immediately. Like we had three months to outline, rehearse, write, and shoot the shoot the movie. Um and then ended up like going to opening at Sundance the following winter um and that was like another one where just like th- jumped into it immediately got to learn everything very quickly um and then ever since then i've been working on i have a, a couple different feature projects um i, I really i i, I mean I, I write for tv too but screenwriting has been more uh there's more flexibility with that you know like it's if i was in a writer's room right now i couldn't be doing this interview right now because I, right. I would be in the room this second you know and i couldn't be in rehearsal whereas screenwriting you know i can come home from rehearsal be tired as hell drinking lots of wine and like open final draft. Um, and that sort of flexibility is like what's letting me do that and theater at the same time. um so yeah I, the pandemic in the pandemic pandem- in particular when theater shut down i was go- i compartmentalized all my grief by jumping really heavily into film and TV um, and now I go between <laughs> between all three
1: do you do you have a uh, a favorite medium and then also um i are are you somebody who is able to do to do multiple things at once, like this, to jump to context switch and go between things, or do you have to focus on one thing at once?
2: Um, no, I'm at my happiest when I get to go between multiple things. I actually uh, every time a show opens and I go home, I'm usually like depressed for a week because I'm just like I don't know what to do yeah. with my time because rehearsal is so intense. Like I think that's that's I learned that during Tambo and both. I think particularly with Omicron, and so we were so scared of getting shut down. Like everything. It's so intense. And then the show opens, and then you're just done and you're not there anymore. And you're just like, oh, what do I do? with What do I do with my body? Like, I don't know how to, you know, um, like last, last, I left New York to go back to LA to go back home for Tam, after Tambo and Bones opened. Um, I like went home. I just played Elden Ring, a video game, for like a week straight. You know, I was just like, I don't know what to do right now. Um, so, yeah, when I'm moving between different projects, that's, that's when I think I'm at my best, my most stressed, but also
1: my happy place. That's that's really interesting. I, 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 I've talked with some people who are like, I can't do more than more than one thing at once, and I, I feel like though it, you have to go where the creativity goes, and especially, yeah. In 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 now the the twenty minutes that we've been talking here, it seems like you know you're somebody you're that you've you've gone to writing and you're successful at writing because whether you're consciously doing it or not, you're you're using the outlet to express. Express yourself, um and you've talked about expressing grief and expressing uh, and dealing with th- feelings and and getting over fear, and things that a lot of people go their entire lives without ultimately being able to do in one form or another. And <clears throat> it seems to me that the different stories that go along with the different uh, mediums, Are always going to be changing. So you might have like a a happy rom com that you're writing for TV. That's like, "Eh, okay, that's a paycheck. But then like, there's something Mm -hmm. that doesn't pay hardly anything, but it for theater that's really gonna help you get over this great fear or grief or whatever the case is. Right? Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, I think that's a large part of of what how I ended up here. Like, I one of the biggest gifts of writing. I think comes from the fact that I think there was such a, there's such a dearth. It it was often felt like a dearth of language in my family and growing up because things would happen so quickly and everything was so focused on, on, on survival and getting to the next day that there actually was, it frequently was their time to sit and process anything. Um, And I think that's what uh, writing has gifted me is that like, I get to just sit and find language for, uh things that were just are just patterns that we grew up with you know things that we just sort of accepted as as habit or that's just the state of living and now i get to just assign words to it and once i do that then i I feel like i can get control of the things i felt like i didn't have control over um and i think that's the thing you just talked about is is what keeps me uh writing and it might not it might not be that way forever you know like i Ten years from now I could be like, all right, I'm done writing. I want to go be a bird watcher. Um, which, honestly, <laughs> what I I fucking love birds. Like, I, really, I have a really I have a really complicated relationship with birds because um, I'm also really I have a really bad bird phobia. Like, it's not cute, um, and also like I love bird watching. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, maybe maybe ten years ten years from now I'll be like, all right, I'm retired from the game, and now I just go observe mannequins in the wild or something who knows but uh for now for now this is this is the fun thing
1: um you sound like such a walking paradox <laughs> 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 you, you want to bird watch but you hate birds where did the where'd your bird phobia come from uh,
2: attacked by a flock of geese when I was four years old and never bounced back <laughs> what
1: why why do geese why do geese attack
2: okay so geese are terrible geese are terrible they they pose no danger but they have like a high intimidation factor and like it works really well in their face like you know that's why like they honk and stuff like it's it's, um (laughs) but when i was four years old my mom and i went to this we would go to this pond and like feed them stale bread and like stale hot dog buns um and uh my mom was like laying back and letting me do it on my own and i was like yeah i'm grown i can do this um Geese surrounded me. I was like, "Oh shit, I'm in danger!" I take off running. I'm crying, but my dumbass is still holding the bag of hot dog buns. So they're like <laughs> flying after me, and my mom is watching the whole thing and she's laughing too hard to come to come save me. Like the the thing I remember is like the the geese wing flapping and like the sound of my mom's laughter. And I was like, "Bam, trauma. It's done." <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> And that one experience has shaped who you are for the rest of your life, which, which is so interesting.
2: I tell you, I've gone on dates and there's been like a, a flock of pigeons on the side of the street. I'm just like, you're nah, not, nah, we got to cross the street. I can't, <laughs> I can't walk through these birds with you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Three years ago, I, I was like, let me get to the bottom of this. So I started reading a lot of ornithology books and I was like, oh my God, birds are, uh, Crazy. Like, I'm I'm like, I, it's there. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I have like bird tattoos. Like, it's, I love it. Um, But also, like, if, I, if a bird comes near me, like, I will hit the ground. Like, it's, it's not. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought learning about it would give me control over it. And that, I would say that that has not worked.
1: My sister, <laughs> my sister in law has a, has a phobia of butterflies. So, mm-hmm. like, geese I, can, geese, I can sort of understand because they're like big, they flap, they honk. Mm. Butterflies I have never understood because they are the nicest, most gentle creatures that you can think of.
2: I I think I mean I, I get it. I, I I feel for your sister, you know, I think it's something about wings. Like they can get they can come at you from any angle. It's it's you can't see them coming necessarily. It's I <laughs> I, I, I get it.
1: <laughs> 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 We're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Have you ever, have you ever put something down on paper or, or even like written something on paper or even got it to the stage, put it on, put it on its feet and not, not completely understanding why it was written or why you took something to a certain place, a scene to a certain place. And then after you can watch it, you're, you're hearing somebody else read it or or seeing it on his feet. You're like, oh, that's why I needed to talk about that.
2: Yes. Yeah, all the time. I think that that came through, uh, especially with poetry, I would write something and have no idea what I was trying to write about. And then I would show it to someone. And they would be like, oh, this poem was about this. And I was like, oh, word? I thought it was just about birds. Or I thought this was just about like honeybees, you know? <laughs> and they're like, nah, 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 nah. You're trying to get over like that one relationship that you that broke your heart. Or you're trying to um like f- say the thing to your mother you've never you've never actually said out loud. And I was like, nah, this poem's about birds, you know? <laughs> it, 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 all, <laughs> it all it all it it all sort of so much uh subconscious things that go into feelings and language um and you know like if, if you are if I were to sit down and do a free ride right now and like show it to someone they'd be like hey are you thinking about this right now and I would be like oh I didn't even realize you know and that's that's that that came through often in poetry that's it's yeah I really miss it. I haven't written a poem in a, in a while just because theater and uh film and TV stuff has gotten kind of crazy but I really I really miss it for that for that feeling
1: that's that's so much fun i I I'm oh. I've always held myself back from writing, and because i I always i guess i'm I'm afraid a of the judgment, right? because you're putting your inner thoughts down on paper, and sometimes they're pretty deep. but then the other the other part is just figuring out what you want to write about. And I guess that's where you know people talk about journaling, like just journal journal every day. write something down every day. Just start writing and see where it goes. Sometimes it's incoherent. Sometimes you get something great. and i I should follow that advice because. Part of part of what like I guess saying, what's holding me back from from writing over time was simply because I didn't know what to write about, and I wanted to be specific, and I wanted it to come out profound and prolific and life changing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes what anybody writes is crap, and you just got to take the good with the bad, right? I mean, do you do you judge yourself? Are you the harshest judge of yourself, or you just give no shits and you're just like, all right, I'm just going to write down whatever comes out of my head.
2: I. That's. I mean, that's a good. That's a good question. I. I don't. I don't know how. This is a good question because when you ask it, I'm like, oh, I. I don't feel like I have an answer at the ready because I. I don't. really Judge my own writing that that harshly until it's done or until I'm rewriting, um, and I don't know where that comes from. You know, um, <laughs> like it, I mean, I. I feel I. because normally it's, once I start writing, it just like. Comes and goes. Like I can sit. I can sit and just do it for eight hours. Um, I'm not. A, I'm not a write everyday person. Just because I, I the the, the space, the space that I want to access when I write is not a space that I want to live in all the time. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So so I, I don't do it every day for that for that reason. Um. I, I think it's just like that. That boundary is is important to me. Um. But when when I am sitting down to do it, um, I I don't feel that in my head or that judgmental of it until I'm rewriting. And then until I'm rewriting it, I'm just like, oh, that line doesn't make sense. You know, then then I can really get into the weeds. But the act of it itself is, it's usually, um, I don't know. It, it, it just, it, it, it stays, it stays fun. It's always stayed fun, you know? Um, and, and that's, I, I hope that fun, continues and when it when it doesn't then i'll uh, figure out what the next thing is that feels as fun as writing um but i don't i don't know what that is yet so i'm
1: still doing it a therapist who specializes in bird phobias obviously you know do therapy <laughs> in what
2: you know yo so. i've tried i've tried exposure therapy i've tried i'm gonna like run through i'm going and it just it doesn't it doesn't
1: stick <laughs> <laughs> i'm um i i'm 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 always curious and fascinated um when you when you mentioned Stephen King, right? Like you're re- reading Stephen mm-hmm. King at an age that was too young to read Stephen King. And like that dude is known for horror. They're obviously like inside our minds are some, on, on a general basis, inside everyone's minds are some of the scariest, probably nastiest, horrible places that you can be for, for the most part. And that's why inner thoughts stay inner thoughts. But you've got these writers yeah. like, like Stephen King who are just writing nothing but horror. And there, I mean, there are some really, really great TV shows and movies and scripts and, uh, you know, stage scripts that are based, some in fact. So that's easier to say, oh, based on a true story, but some completely made up that are just kind of really horrible, horrible stories. <laughs> and, you know, whatever your definition of horrible is. But, and again, going back to the feeling of being judged or feeling, um, I guess scrutinized, right? Like, if you're known for being this person who writes just really uncomfortable thing or makes people feel uncomfortable, I, I guess how how do you find that comfortability level or the the acceptance with yourself to be able to say, like, you know what? I'm putting this out there because it's one thing it's one thing to to put something out there in the world and have a bunch of strangers look at it that are never going to talk to you and that you're never going to meet, but then you've got your mom, your sister, your friend, your close friends, your partner, whoever it is, who have to know that you've got these really sick thoughts inside.
2: You know what I, I mean? mean? I think I think it, I I do. I mean, I do. I, I hear you. I think just it would be otherwise. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like because it's it's otherwise. I like I I um, I'm really excited for acceptance to the rules are open because it's formally very different from Tampa and Bones. Um, and I think every single one of my plays is formally very different from the last play. And it's it's because, you know, once you for me, once I like I, th- I think there's there's a there's a an, uh a school of playwriting of playwrights who are drawn to doing a certain thing and they hone that thing over and over again. And like in every play they write, you can see the the th- the thing they're after, you know, like I think like and it's 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 brilliant. you know, I like, like like Sam Hunter and like, Dominique Morisot you know like they're they're formally are engaged with uh often with similar shapes of plays you know or similar regions or similar areas and then I think there's kind of like uh like Julia Cho like Ann Washburn like the play- playwrights who like every play they write is a completely different shape and uh th- that's that's the thing that excites me as a writer you know and that's I think why like people will come see exception to their role which is kind of uh a, single set uh six actors on a stage just like having a feast acting their asses off play um and now that that play is there, there i won't ever write another play like that you know um and that's that's the the fun part for me so like this thing about like oh how do you keep putting something out there i think for for me it's like oh once once i figure out how to say something i never have to say it again um uh and that for me uh, i think pushes me pushes me through and also because like I. You know, you can't let other people outright you. <laughs> like if other people if other people are going to if other people are going to a place, I'm like, all right, bet, I gotta find the next place. You know, and th- and that's the like, you know, like I, I I like I sometimes wish playwriting worked more like like hip hop, where it's like, oh, we could write diss tracks or we could be like, Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. You did that, bet. okay, I'm gonna be this flow with this, or we can like respond to each other in our work. Um I think that happens, you know, passively, but I I, I would be really excited about a theatrical community where we really, we really did that, um, but that's another wormhole.
1: Oh man, I, I would love for you to write a loose script that incorporates some sort of audience feedback with looping technology. So you're telling a story that's slightly different <laughs> every night, and maybe it's a yeah. one or a two person show, and using the looping, you can bring old parts of the script back to play with yourself as another character. There you go. There's your, there's your dollar. <laughs> there it is. Yet. Drop that in the bucket. There you go. Yeah. Um,
2: your I mean, web-
1: Tambo and Bones was similar. It was
2: like every, every, every night was different with that show, which was, which was part of the joy of it.
1: Oh yeah. I wish I could see it. I need to go out to LA actually. And I'm, I'm overdue for a West Coast Yeah, Ghost come trip. through. Um, your website, your website is staydancingdave.com. Where, where's the dancing come from?
2: I I've, I've, just, never, I've uh, just always been a dancer my whole life, um, and I think that, I mean that's one weird that's one where I was like oh freshman year of college somebody said that because I, I was doing something I think I was like uh, doing patata or something uh, and and that name kind of stuck and I was like oh, okay cool that'll be my brand you know <laughs> you know like first year first day of college you're just like oh what, who am I going to be here and then I'm just like ah that's that's who it is um, and but I mean it stayed it stayed it's it, it stayed true you know one of the hardest things about COVID was that there was no uh, communal dance dance there's no communal dancing you know i gotta I go to like I, I went to a zoom uh batata dance uh and it was so sad we were all so sad we're just like <laughs> in front of our cameras just like just like you know there was a dj who was like shouting out people's zoom screens i was like this can't this can't be the world
1: <laughs> like aliens aliens come and look at, at this history tape it's like why are these people staring at random representations of electrons turning on and off like they, they're literally there's nobody in the room with you you are all by yourself and like I'm, I'm literally talking to, to a bunch of metal with, with, with it's being lit up by electrons <laughs> right now right so oh, I think oh man <laughs> I think about that all the time when I'm just like working on the computer just oh god the, how far we've come and how so far we've got to go Oh, man. All right. The void. We're in the void. We're in the void. All right. So let's wrap up with three standard closing questions that I ask everybody to end the episodes. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? Friends' imaginations. Your friends' imaginations or yours? Yeah. No, my friends.
2: (laughs) I, 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 I feel like my friends are the greatest artists in the world, and I feel honored to be their friends. You know? And like, every time I get to, every time I get to read something, there every time I get to like witness their artistry at work, I'm just like, like the, uh, I went to Sanaz Tusi is, is like the homie and like, I love her dearly. And every time I get to see one of her plays, I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah, cool. This is, I'm like, I hate theater so much. And then I go see her plays. I'm just like, oh my God, no, it's such a gift to be alive writing when you are. And like, I saw uh, my friend Amara in for color girls on Broadway. She Mm. came on stage and I was like, am I, am I crying watching you on stage? Just like be yourself. You know, and and I'm just like, oh yeah, of course. That's the greatest reason to keep doing this is that the people we love are doing it too.
1: Mm. All right, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path?
2: Um, uh, the advice I'll give to my younger self: uh, fight back against those fucking geese. <laughs> <laughs> if you went, if you, if I would have, if I would have thrown hands with the first goose that flew at me, it would, I would have, I would never, I would not have this phobia today. But <laughs> I ran. <And laughs> Set me on a path of life that could have could have been redeemed much easier, much more easily. Um, so that's my that's my advice.
1: What about uh, younger people down a starting out down a similar path? Um, uh, who, who,
2: don't who don't have a f- who don't have a bird phobia? I <laughs> would um, say that um, build 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 a body of work before you spend your life trying to hone one piece of art. Um, yeah. I, I, I think, I think for for me, I, uh, you know, I've I role play, plays plays pretty much my whole, my whole life at this point. Um, and the most useful thing was having multiple plays that were vastly different from each other than sort of like spending my entire spending years in the lab with one, with one play and hoping that that was the one that would get me through Like, you know, the play that I've won the most awards for has never been produced, you know, uh, it's, huh. it's a play called White History. I don't. I don't think it. Was, I, I might never be. It might never be produced. But uh, it opened the door such that then I could like then slide in three more plays. Um,
1: oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. All right. Last question: If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see?
2: Oh, ooh. Um, uh, maybe it's just because it's on my mind right now. But The Skin of Our Teeth on Broadway.
1: <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. All right yeah. all right all right. Yeah. So you've got, uh, you've got your website, staydancingdave.com. Where else can we find you online?
2: Um, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all the things at Stay Dancing Dave. Um, you can find me in the theater at Roundabout, except into the rule uh, until the end of June or, or in the theater in LA at Santa Theater Group until the end of May.
1: All right. You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. I'm on Twitter. I mean, TikTok now at the theater podcast. I don't know what I'm doing on TikTok. (laughs) This has been edited by Well Run Hoodlum Productions. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro and music. And Dave Harris, thank you so much. This has been so much fun.
2: Yeah, this is fun. Thanks for having me. Take a deep breath. Make the world a little
0: colorful.